What's splashing? Welcome to season five, episode six of Siren Sundays with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. This show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, and practitioners of environmental and marine science and all things conservation. You are now tuning into our conservation conversation, and today's guest is Dr. Amina Moss. Welcome, Amina. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Nishanti. I appreciate the chance to talk about aquaculture once more. <laughs> awesome. So can you give us a brief introduction of who you are and what got you into working into aquaculture? Sure. I hope that is not going to be too long. Well, first of all, I just want to preface this with the fact that I do stutter. My, my grandmother stutter, my father stutter, my daughter unfortunately stutters. So if I skip certain words, it's because I stutter. Um, so I started, um, I guess I started in, in, in high school in Seattle Walker, where I um, graduated from, I guess. I grew to love biology and chemistry. And I knew that I wanted to do something in the science field. And of course, everybody who does biology and chemistry in the Bahamas goes to become a doctor, right? <laughs> so <laughs> my path would have been pre-med medical school or at least biochem at UB and that, well, COB back in the day, right? And then med school. So after graduating from C.L. Walker, I went to COB with everybody else. We all um, did biology, minor in chemistry, and we had wanted to become doctors. And that was my path. I was going to be an oncologist cancer doctor. <laughs> um, but I realized that the only, reason, the only reason why I wanted to become a doctor was because I knew I could do it. I had good grades and, you know, I liked biology, but I also knew that I, I wanted to help persons, but I wanted to help persons in a different way because we had so many doctors and lawyers and accountants and different things. I just wanted something that was a bit different, right? Because those jobs are still pretty good, right? So I, I don't want to discount them, but I didn't see it for me, I guess. So after I graduated from COB with my bachelor's degree, I went through a phase where I was just sad, depressed. You know, I, I was a bit down. I, I worked random jobs trying to find something that I would be passionate about on Google. I just couldn't find it. And then one day I saw um, a course on aquaculture that I loved. I took a quick certification on it and I really fell in love with it. And one thing led to the next, a co-worker, she, she saw an ad in um, the newspaper advertising um, getting a degree in Japan, right? So I went ahead and applied. So um, the ad only shows once per year, one day per year, believe it or not. And sorry if I'm rambling, you can stop me if I'm talking too much. Yes, yeah. uh, yeah, so, so the ad for um, the Japanese scholarship only shows one day per year. And she happened to have seen it on that day. <laughs> and she told me about it and I applied it for it. So what they had said was that you have to, to send all your documents to the Ministry of Education, which I did. And I sent it three weeks in advance. I was just so excited. And two months later, I, I got a call from um, the embassy of Japan in Jamaica that the lady told me, why did you send your application so late? You, you, you're the first uh, behavior that we're actually considering for the scholarship, I said, well, I sent it three three weeks earlier, you know, earlier um, than, than the deadline, I guess. 
She said, no, we received it today. <laughs> so I was like, no, I sent it a long time ago. She said, well, anyway, it's too late. Oh, Next year I applied. So I applied. Well, no, the following year I forgot about it, actually. She called me <laughs> from the embassy and said, hello, <laughs> um, you have to apply this year. So I applied and I got it. Um, so the scholarship was to get a master's degree in Japan. And um, while I was there, the research was going so well, they had wanted me to stay on to, to, to go ahead and get my PhD as well, right? Because the research was really interesting. And so they had wanted me to just continue on to get my PhD. And that's how I got to Japan and that's how I got my degrees and stuff. <laughs> That's so exciting. I think that sounds like it was a meant to be kind of thing, really. Even though you missed it and then you forgot about it, she still called you and got the ball rolling. And now look at you. You did fun. become a doctor. <laughs> Just yeah. not, a, not a medical doctor, but definitely a doctor, doctor in the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you define um, for our viewers listening what aquaculture is? Aquaculture. So aquaculture is basically um, the farming of aquatic species. So it can be a crocodile, <laughs> it can be plants, microalgae, it can be fish, of course. Fish is boring, but it can be fish. <laughs> it can be lobster and shrimps, a bunch of things, really. Sea urchins, if you want mussels, oysters. A lot of the oyster pearls, the pearls that we actually wear, are freshwater pearls, right? from freshwater oysters and they're all pretty much farmed so yeah nice. that's what aquaculture is and um maybe to better define aquaculture since i am a lecturer so i should be more specific i guess um so you know way way back in the day um our ancestors they were hunters and gatherers right so they would actually go in the field and they would um grab vegetables and fruits and they would carry them home they'd also go in the field and and kill i guess cows i don't know what they found there's yeah. the field right and nowadays most persons don't really do that except um hobbyists i guess um but nowadays we have fishers so fishermen fishwomen who actually go out in the sea and they capture fish right so that, that's how we used to live back in the day we, we actually would have to go in in the field to capture things but nowadays we're a bit lazier i guess well not lazy because farmers are hard working but we have everything in our backyard basically right so farmers they have their own fields right they don't have to go anywhere else they have their field right there in a, in a predetermined area i guess and they would have their own i guess crops and so on and they can also have a field where they have their cattle their sheep their you know um, lamb and so on, their goats and chickens and so on. So for aquaculture, you can have your, um, you can have a field with tanks inside. You can have a pond that's in your backyard and inside the pond, you can grow your shrimps. You can grow whatever else you want. You can also have a predetermined area that's, that's offshore with a cage where you enclose a lot of um, fish if you want, right? So that's what aquaculture mm -hmm. is, basically. Nice. Now, I know you specifically work with aquaculture nutrition. Can you tell us you know, what's a bit different about that? So um, although it's defined as aquaculture nutrition, right? Um, in Japan, we actually did a little bit more. So I'll define aquaculture nutrition and then I'll talk more about what I actually did, right? So aquaculture nutrition is basically making food 
for the food that we're growing, right? So we we're making food for the fish, we're making food for um, the shrimps and so on. They actually need food, right? Um, <laughs> back in the day um, when aquaculture first started, you would actually feed fish fish, right? Because that's what they would normally eat. So you, you would feed, yeah. let's say, yeah. randomly, them. You're, you're growing snappers, for example, right? You, you have an aquaculture farm, you're growing snappers. Snappers are but they're omnivorous to a point, but they are mainly carnivorous. They eat fish, right? So you would feed them what they would normally eat. So you would grab sardines because most persons don't eat sardines much and sardines represent the bulk of um, um, the catch, the, the fishing catch. So you would just feed sardines to fish, basically, to the fish that you're growing. But that's unsustainable, right? right. Actually feeding fish, fish. Is really unsustainable. So we have this whole sector called aquaculture nutrition where we're actually making food for the fish that we're going to eat. So the food has to be sustainable. It has to not be fish. Or even if we use fish, it has to be, let's say, fish guts, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right? It could be conch guts, for instance. It could be conch shells because, um, for example, if you're growing shrimps and lobsters, they need the calcium, right? And of course, mm-hmm. conch shells that made of calcium carbonate, right? So it could be a mixture of conch shells with conch guts with seaweed and so on and so forth. Seaweed, because seaweed is a good binder, right? Every time you're you're baking, you're pretty much using some sort of seaweed inside your cake to make the cake stick together, basically, right? A lot of the the gummies that that kids eat has um, seaweed extract inside of it. Right. So we use the seaweed to pretty much bind all the ingredients together. So we can create sustainable food for fish and shrimps just by using natural ingredients or um, fisheries waste, basically. Right. Because we don't eat the conch shells. <laughs> we don't eat the conch guts. We don't eat the fish guts. And most Bahamians don't eat seaweed. Right. So I love seaweed. <laughs> oh, well, see, you're the exception. <laughs> Definitely. So I know um, as we start talking more about your career, um, you ready to pop the slides up? Oh, sure. Yeah, I actually forgot. So (laughs) the first one, what are we looking at here? So could you go back one slide? Okay. Um, Back, back one, this one? That one, right? So this one is just to, to, to try and motivate young Bahamians who actually want to go ahead and study um you can't really get your bachelor's degree unless you speak fluent japanese right and um so because i I think most bachelor bachelor's programs in japan are taught in japan in japanese right Mm -hmm. but um Mm -hmm. starting from the master's degree and up you you can actually be taught in english so i recommend to all bahamians to please go ahead and look for the, the japanese government scholarship and apply and get your master's and your PhD and whatever else. And even if you just go for one year, just to study Japanese and, and see how you like the culture, you can teach English in Japan, you can do all of that. Mm-hmm. Please do it, right? So the, the first picture on the <laughs> left, <laughs> that's me um, dressed up as a geisha, uh, well not a geisha, Michael, right? And the one on the right is just me getting my my doctorate's degree um, with my, um, at the time she was three months old and my, um, I think she was four, four years old at the time. So 
they're both my pride and joy. And of course, there's a degree next to it. That's <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> that comes second. <laughs> okay, so you can go on to the next slide. Sure. All right, so what you're looking at now is the kuruma shrimp, or it's um, more so-called prawn in our region, only because prawns are known as uh, the bigger version of a shrimp, right? Mm -hmm. So um, these shrimps would be, no, this is too small. <laughs> they would pretty much be a, a, as big as my head. Right, so they're, they're really big. That's why we call them prawns. And they are strictly carnivorous. If you give them anything made of vegetables, they would pretty much ignore you and eat each other, right, in the tanks. Yeah, no, if you don't yeah. give them meat, they will become um, cannibalistic and they will eat each other. So <laughs> these are the shrimps that I actually had to deal with. And I knew that my diet that I made for them wasn't good when they started to eat each other in the tanks. So I don't know if welfare is going to contact me after this, but it's just nature, it's natural. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, they eat each other in the wild as well. So th this is actually how they look in the food store. Now, can you go on the next slide? Sure. Yeah. So this is actually one of my tanks in Japan. These are what you call the broodstock. I don't know if you know the term broodstock. No, but you can um, define. <laughs> yeah, so broodstock is basically um, the adult shrimps that we actually use to mate to obtain the eggs and the larvae and so on, right? So these are the broodstock. Mm -hmm. We actually have to make the conditions perfect for them to actually mate. And once they mate, they release the, the larvae and, and then, um, yeah, we have baby shrimps to work with. Okay. Now, were they selected for a particular reason? Like, why were these ones decided as that? No, they were selected as random. We obtained them from a farm nearby. Okay. Yeah, we, we just asked for the root stocks, and they were able to defraud them to us. Awesome. And so once the root stock mate, they have... Um, they, they release the eggs and, and the eggs go into larvae and, and, and they go through all the larval stages. And this is the final stage where they become post-larvae. So if you look on the left side, um, left-hand side, sorry. Um, yeah, so the video, I don't know if you can see those those small white lines. Yeah. I can see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you put them under the microscope, they look like what you see on the right. Wow. So those are the baby shrimps, basically. <laughs> This is another baby? That's it. No, it's not a video. It's just another picture of the post lobby. Just to show you how tiny they are and how big they become, you know, after several months. So these shrimps can actually be harvested at about six to seven months, right? So, so you can almost have two harvests per year. This is how they, they end up growing. So this one is probably about mm, one, one month old, perhaps. Right. Yeah. So they, they grow pretty fast once you actually feed them food. Good Meat. food that is. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So that's how grow they um how big they grow, sorry. This is how so, the biggest that they get. No, they can actually get bigger, but of course, um, after a while you actually want to make some money, you know. So you actually <laughs> tell them this is um pretty much the Har harvestable size, I guess. Yeah, mm. but they can actually grow bigger than them. 
Wow. <laughs> Do they ever stop growing? I know I've heard that certain reptiles never stop growing. Like if you were to keep just feeding them and growing them, would they just get bigger and bigger? Like super jumbo shrimp? <laughs> they will go pretty, pretty big, but after a while they will start becoming wider and wider. Right. So, yeah, but they can grow pretty big. I've seen a picture of somebody who had it as big as long as my forearm, I guess. So that's the biggest I have seen so far. <laughs> they can wow. grow really, really big. Wow. So this is a video, um, the guy in the blue. Yeah. So what he's doing is that he's, he's scraping all of the barnacles. Right, and I, and I have them in my hand as well. So this is an, an actual um, shrimp farm. And so what they do is that they don't feed them as much. What they do is they just scrape off the barnacles and the shrimps feed off the barnacles instead. Wow. wow. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty sustainable, right? Yeah, it is. Oh, um, Japan is very serious about sustainable aquaculture. They're unlike any other Asian countries, to be honest. And they're known for eating like a lot of seafood as well, correct? Oh yeah, and actually on that same day, because um, a friend, a friend of mine, and I went to go ahead and visit this particular farm. And on that day, they took some shrimps out and they ate them raw in front of us, and, and they had us try it. How was it? <laughs> oh, hello. How did it taste raw? Um, how did it taste? It, it tastes sweet for some reason. Have you ever had raw shrimp? No, I don't know if anybody who's watching has had raw shrimps, but those shrimps taste raw. And I'm actually allergic to shrimps, but I was able to eat the raw shrimps. <laughs> so, because I know I've had shrimp cocktail before in the past, but that's not raw, correct? I think they're a bit boiled or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So no, I've never, I've never had raw <laughs> shrimp. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, let's. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Let's... Sorry, I hope you can't hear my puppies in the background. No, it's so cute. So what do we have here? This is fish. So, yeah, besides shrimps, I had experience working with fish as well. And so what you're looking at, uh, sea brim, sea brim fish. Okay. And then the next slide should be flounder fish, you know, mm. the flat fish. Mm -hmm. They have both eyes on one side of the body, basically, and, and the other side is just white and plain. <laughs> so those are a bit scary to work with at first, <laughs> but um, just because of how they look, they're very, very flat, and just one side has both eyes. <laughs> it's just weird, and the other side is just nothing, just white. So the first time I saw it, uh, I just freaked out, really. Um, <laughs> And so what you're seeing is some of the diet that I actually made. So I grade them, I, I sieve them, depending on the size of the fish or the shrimp that I'm actually feeding. So of course, okay. the one on the left is, is for the very, very small um, post-level um, post shrimps. The one on the right is for the slightly bigger shrimps. And of course, they get much bigger than that. So it depends on what type of or what stage um, I'm actually feeding, basically. And it's almost the same process for fish in terms of making the feeds. It's just that shrimps, they take a little bit longer to actually eat. They nibble on their food. They nibble, nibble, nibble. So the food has to be binded a little bit longer 
than um, let's say for fish, right? So fish, you normally um, feed them. Yeah, as soon as you, you actually throw the food inside the water, they just, you know, go ahead and, and eat it. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. if they haven't eaten past five minutes, they're not gonna eat anymore, basically. The fish, fish or the right? shrimp? Oh, the fish. The fish, right. But the, the, the shrimps, the shrimps, they actually hide in the sun and you throw food in, they'll wait until you, you go, you move, and they'll <laughs> come out of hiding and they will eat. So the food has to stay solid <laughs> in the water much longer, right? So this is where something like seaweed extract comes in because seaweed is a very good, is a very strong binder. It helps to keep the food together basically in the water much longer. Right, so it allows the food not to pretty much dissolve in the water before the shrimp gets a chance to completely finish it. Right. Wow, that is so cool. <laughs> it's, oh, what and do we so, have here? All right, so on the left, we have me just pretty much taking blood from the fish because yes, we are making food for the fish and yes, we are feeding them, but we wanna make sure that the fish that we're growing is healthy. Right, because ultimately aquaculture most of the time is to eat, right? You're trying to yeah. eat the food. So if the fish is not healthy, then we're unable to eat it. So we do have to take tests later on. We have to um, remove the blood and separate the plasma and so on to actually do some analysis in the lab. So we so, have to make sure that the shrimp is healthy, sorry, the shrimp, the fish is healthy. Go ahead. And so is this fish alive when you're taking the blood or is this after they've been harvested? So if you are an expert um, person, not to say that I am or not, but if you are an expert at removing the blood, you can actually remove it without killing the fish. Wow. Now, a lot of persons practice and try and, and they're unable to actually remove the blood without killing the fish, right? And of, and of course, um, the smaller the fish is, the less blood you can actually remove from its body. So mm -hmm. it, it really takes knowing your species, knowing where to actually... Um, puncture and so on. So it depends really. At the time, that fish was alive. Wow. And, and is it because they don't survive because as you, as you're doing it, they're traumatized or it's just the way that you puncture them or is it just because you're taking blood? Um, so sometimes it's because you're taking blood because sometimes persons take too much blood. Mm. Um, other times it's because um, the person would have punctured at the wrong spot. Oops. I hope you don't see my cat. I know you have a dog. I have a cat. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it, really, it really depends. Also, sometimes um, the person is trying to, to locate where to actually extract the blood from, and the fish is out of water for too long, and they're putting too much pressure on the fish and so on. So again, the welfare people, I'm so sorry about this, but it does happen. So um, if you're mishandling the fish, the fish can actually die as well. So it's multiple reasons, really. But you don't even uh, really take blood from one fish, like out of a stock, or is it that each fish or a majority of the fish have to be tested? So usually what we have to do is take it in, in three replicates, right? So each tank, you would normally take about three random fish or shrimp, and you would remove their, um, their um, blood basically. In the case of shrimp, it'll be the, the hemolymph, right? Because they don't have blood. But in the case of, of, of fish, it'll be that blood. So mm -hmm. let's say a tank has 30, you just take three random ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. 
and on the right hand side we are sorry oh, no worries on the right hand side you are vaccinating fish because fish actually do get vaccines oh my god <laughs> um only team because... vaxxed. sorry go ahead team vaxxed. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i don't know if they get boosters sometimes they do yeah <laughs> So in this instance, these are amberjack fish, um, juveniles, and be before they started the experiment, they went ahead and vaccinated them, and then they stress test them to see if the vaccines work. Because we have bacteria, we have viruses, and so on that affect fish. They affect fish in the wild, mind you, but because fish in the wild, they're in the, in the ocean, right? And the ocean is so fast, they can actually move away from each other if they're sick, and if a fish or um, lobster or shrimp detects that another species is sick, they will avoid them at all costs, right? And, and they can do it because they're in the wild and they have a lot of space. But in an aquaculture tank, they're all confined to one area. So if one shrimp or one fish is sick, then nobody can escape basically, right? Mm -hmm. And the fish can't really tell us that Hey, this one is this, this little one is that's your boy. Right. Come on, come on. You don't want to die too, right? So um when one fish is sick, you usually you're gonna get about 33% of your tank infected, depending on what the disease is. With shrimp, usually when when one shrimp is is sick, the whole tank is infected. Because by the time you're actually able to, to see the physical signs, it has spread all throughout the tank, right? So Prevention is better than cure. Um, usually for shrimp, what we do is, is, is um, provide them with um, probiotics. So um, this is something that perhaps everybody is familiar with because um, a lot of persons take, I guess, either those yogurts with, with, with the, the bacteria inside of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, so for the shrimps, we, we actually make food for them with probiotics. Because sometimes when um, an organism is sick, and th this applies to us too, right? If you're sick and you, 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 you're given um, antibiotics, the antibiotics, it doesn't discriminate, right? It kills the good and the bad bacteria, mm -hmm. right? So if you have the bad, I'm sorry, if you have the good bacteria being killed, your um, gut and so on, your whole immune system is going to be out of whack. Right, mm -hmm. a, a lot of our immune system begins in our gut, right? So, probiotic helps to bring back, bring back, sorry, some of that good bacteria inside your body, right? Which helps with your immune system, it helps with your mood, and so on. Um, the, the, the gut bacteria is, is an essential part of our lives, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, the same applies for all living organisms, including shrimps and fish, and they benefit very. Uh, well, they benefit greatly from, from um, eating probiotics. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we can. So what yeah. are? Does she setting up a tank? That's me setting up tanks. Um, so part of my research is also trying to figure out what I need for my research, basically. So yes, I, I have to source the, the the fish or shrimps. Yes, I have to make their feed, but I also have to set up their tanks. Right, I have to set up all the, the plumbing and so on. <laughs> so this was part of it. This is what um, an aquaculturist does, right? So we, we have to find the, the correct size of tanks. We have to find the correct number of tanks. We have to clean them. 
put a little bit of bleach and, you know, diluted bleach inside, make sure everything is clean. We have to hook up all of the piping and, and so on to it. And that's all part of the fun, I think. The fun part, getting your hands wet and dirty. Well, clean is where actually cleaning. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So that's part of it. And I just wanted to share that with you as well. And you know, that's interesting because I, until you just said that, it didn't click to me that you guys are actually making your own tanks and you have to make sure that you make them to the specifications of the species that you are actually yeah. working with. So that's, yeah. you're like all around. <laughs> nice. Well, it, I think it's a fun part. Oh, so this is completely out of, out of subject. I think we can talk about that later on <laughs> for now. Sorry. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. No, all of that we can talk about. Um, or if you want, we can talk about it now, depending. Oh, we can talk about okay. it now. I'm already interested. Okay. <laughs> I think I guess okay. I'd be interested too. Okay. So, um, these are basically, um, why did I send these to you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> While I was in the Bahamas, because I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm no longer in the Bahamas. Um, while I was in the Bahamas, I was teaching at UB. So yes, I went to COB and I returned to COB, which became UB. And I became, well, I taught, I taught marine biology courses. And a part of it was um, trying to get students more interested in the microbiome, I guess, you know. Mm. Um, a lot of the students who study microbiology, they, are very one-track minded in terms of what they want to conserve and, and so on. So I, I wanted to encourage them to, to see more of our beautiful Bahamas and more of our resources, right? So you have on the right a mollusk, right? And you no, right. You have on the left mm -hmm. the mollusk, and you have on the oops. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Okay. So you have on the left, my, my screen is freezing. You have on the left a um, copepod. I don't know if anybody has heard of them, but they are microorganisms that actually live in our, in our waters and they're very abundant and they're very mm -hmm. important for the marine life, basically. So nice. I just wanted to show that to the students. I also want to show it to future marine biologists who want to study, <laughs> who want to study um, marine biology, of course, um, there is much more to the ocean than just fish and lobsters and conch. There's also um, a lot of small organisms that we need to make the whole, you know, wheel spin basically, you know, in, in the ecology of our marine environment. So mm -hmm. I want to show that. And you can, sh you can sh show the, the next, slide as well yeah and that is important yeah. i know my last one of my last guests catalina she was studying phytoplankton she's okay. from abaco studying in canada and studying mm -hmm. um phytoplankton all the way in Antarctica. so i was like it's possible you don't have to stay here and you don't even have to go to these amazing locations to even study yeah. some of these microscopic um things yeah because she can just obtain samples and, and, mm -hmm. and it works perfectly so on the left hand side you have diatoms so diatoms they make up um over what was the percentage i think over 50 percent of the oxygen that we actually breathe right so it's not the trees you see in the amazon forest or the trees in your yard is these small little itty bitty diatoms 
right? And my zoom on my microscope was not the best, but if you Google diatoms and you see the pictures, they look lovely. And on the right-hand side is a polychaete worm. So, so the microscope was not big enough to actually capture its beauty. And it freaked out a lot of students when they saw it because it was wiggling about. <laughs> it was pretty much dancing the salsa in the microscope. But it's a lovely creature and is also part of our ecosystem. And it, you know, I am in love with the micro um, world, I guess. Yeah, it's giving centipede, so I could see why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very, I don't know, I love it. And then I think the final slide that I have to share with everybody, and there's a video at the bottom. So with my students at UB, we actually went in the back of Potter's Key Dock, you know, where they actually store all of the conks. Mm -hmm. So the water in the back there is very, very dirty. It's unsanitary, right? Yes. And I'm sorry, yes. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm offending anybody. <laughs> um, but if you go in the back there, it smells really bad basically, mm -hmm. right? And so somebody was able to, to, to see a fish swimming um, very weirdly. He, he, he took it out of the water. And and I don't know if you can see it, but the fish is actually swimming backwards. Yeah. yeah. See, right? And I have him in my hand in, in that picture. He's, he's really sick. So um, the water condition is, is, is really unsanitary. And, and this is another way that marine biologists can also help to make the environment better by not only knowing about these fish, you know, but also knowing how, how, how to make the environment a safer place for, for these fish. Because if this fish was in a, in, a, in a different part of our ocean, you know, in the coral reefs, it, it would have been a, a, a vibrant blue and, and, and yellow perhaps, right? But oh, that's Sergeant Major? Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> See, and that, and it, as you just said, the coloration, I just realized what fish that was. Yeah, and you can see it's swimming backwards. Yeah. It just couldn't really, it, it couldn't orient itself. So in the back there, the water is very unsanitary. I also wanted to bring that, you know, like I said, I want the marine biologists to be interested in doing other things and, and to have other fights, you know, so... Yeah, that's it. I think that's all of the slides to show. Yeah. And I know we actually have been getting some questions um, in the chat. So I'm going to pop okay. some of them up to see if you can answer some of them. So we okay. have um, my Aunt Denise. Why does sway fish get such a bad rep as a farmed raised and what they are fed sometimes? And I agree. I know that a lot of people say stay away from that, that aquaculture fish. Yeah, so... Um... Aquaculture is not being done sustainably in many countries, right? And this is what I've been having a, a problem with our government, to be quite honest. Our government just wants to copy and paste whatever is being done in other countries. I'm sorry, I don't want to just show into any trouble. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so our government just wants to copy and paste whatever is, whatever is being done in other countries and, and apply it to, to us. Now the Bahamas is one of the loveliest places in the world. If you if you look on Google Earth and you zoom out, you can still see the Bahamas from space. This mm -hmm. bright blue, I mean aquamarine color from space. Even if you zoom out in 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 I don't know that those other islands in in um, the Pacific, they're not as vibrant as as the Bahamas, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So our environment is one uh, is subpar. 
Barnum, right? So you can't copy and paste aquaculture practices being done in any 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 old country and, and put it in, in our country. You just can't, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and also it, it will not worry because our water environment is completely different anyway. Their water is murky naturally, right? Because they have a lot of phytoplankton in it and they have a lot of zooplankton. Our water is clear, right? Because we have no nutrients, not much nutrients, right? Which is good for our coral reefs. But also because we have no nutrients, we don't have, don't many, we don't have that many zooplankton and we don't have that many um, phytoplankton in our water. So our water is bright clear. If it had more phytoplankton, it would have been greener. It would have been, you know, a different color, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have different um, water composition and so on. So whatever is being done elsewhere can't be done here, right? So again, aquaculture is being done unsustainably in many countries, but um, those countries are the countries where we're actually obtaining most of our seafood to begin with. If you go in, inside the food store right now and, and you get your, your frozen shrimp, you'll see on the package um, farm raised in Indonesia, farm raised in Thailand, farm raised in China, packaged mm-hmm. in the US, US right? Now, um, those places, if you go inside those farms, very unsustainable pollution everywhere, right? And also um, they have been feeding their um, farm species with soy product, right? Because like I told you in, in the beginning, um, we, we, we used to feed fish fish, right? Because fish naturally eat fish. So if you wanna grow fish, you have to feed them fish, right? And so feeding fish, fish is unsustainable and it's too expensive. So the, the farms that cannot afford it, they will go ahead and feed fish um, a replacement meal, right? So soybean has protein. They will just extract a lot of the protein from it and they would feed it to the fish, right? So a lot of persons have problems with that, of course, because they don't want to eat a fish that has been fed soy especially if it's um gm you know genetically modified soy right right? so all those things um bring up a lot of issues and a lot of bad blood in the aquaculture community community versus um i don't know the non-aquaculture community um so but there is a way to do it sustainably right and there is a way to actually make sure that what they're being fed is natural Right. And that's what I'm working on. And that's that's what I like to show to everyone, basically, right. as possible. Right. And so is that. Yeah. Uh, and I think I said it wrong. Is swai? Yeah, because I know people always say that's the worst kind of fish to get. Is that true? Or is that just hearsay for people who probably farm tilapia? <laughs> so um, I don't know what the bad rep is with, with tilapia. Tilapia, especially the tilapia that we have, is just a, um, it's a result of selective breeding, basically, right? So they pretty much combine two tilapias and they, they had them inbreed or breed together until they obtained a red color. And they knew that the persons on this side of the world, in the Western world, would actually prefer a red tilapia versus a black or gray right, tilapia, basically. Um, In most African countries, actually, many persons love the the, the taste of the um, gray, the grayish or blackish looking tilapia. tilapia. You know, most persons eat it and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure why persons believe that tilapia should not be eaten, 
I personally, I mean, I'm not for or against it. I'm more of a, of a marine fish aquaculture. Tilapia is yeah. fresh water, so I don't really deal with tilapia per se. But I think that um, tilapia is a good way for the Bahamas to introduce itself into the aquaculture world only because um, we, we um, can do tilapia and aquaponics, right? And other persons are into the whole backyard farming and so on. So having a small setup of tilapia and, and your vegetables could be a good, a good way to go, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. A lot of persons have issues with it, but many Bahamas are perhaps eating red, red tilapia and thinking it's not for any way. So right. Right. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I know. Um, uh, actually, there was a restaurant that I went to, and they were serving the the swag or the swai, and they told me that it's called American grouper. <laughs> and I was like, no, because this is mushy. Like, you know, you, you know, the texture of a marine fish versus like, you know, a different fish. Yeah. And for that reason, a lot of people say stay away from swai as well. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I like marine. I'm like you. If I'm going to eat fish, I would prefer, let me go to a fisherman, get a nice snapper, get a nice Nassau yeah. grouper when it's open season. Because <laughs> it's close season now for Nassau grouper. But, but yeah, I totally understand the sentiments. And I know we have another question just asking about, you know, the whole thing about 90% of our oxygen we breathe comes from the ocean. Are the diatoms that you were talking about responsible for that? 90%. That's the percentage. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, the diatoms, they're, they're pretty much phytoplankton. So phyto means plant and plankton means um, wanderers, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. So, 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 these are um, plant-like organisms that pretty much float at the surface of the ocean. Of course, they have to float because they need the sunlight, right? And mm-hmm. so they absorb all the carbon dioxide, right? So um, a, a good way that we're actually getting rid of, of, of a lot of carbon dioxide is it being dissolved into the ocean and being absorbed by all the, the, the diatoms. So they're actually helping to prevent global warming, but they're not helping enough because we're, we're doing so much damage to begin with. Um, <laughs> different topic. So the diatoms, they're absorbing so much carbon dioxide and as they absorb it, they make food and so on for the zooplankton and so on. And of course, a byproduct of photosynthesis is oxygen. So yes, I guess it is 90%. I thought it was 50%, but yes, 90%. Well, I'm happy to hear percent It just makes the ocean more important. It is. But, you know, and I was curious, um, do you find that there are a lot of Bahamians or Caribbean people in your field? I know in one of my last seasons, I had Michael Bolig, who's actually a PhD researcher over in the UK as well. He's studying aquaculture, nutrition and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, like, do you get to meet a lot of Bahamians or even just Caribbean people working in this sector? So I know Michael, he and I happen to have worked somewhere together, right? So he was a co-worker. And then I was so glad to hear about him and, and Katie Luther and so on doing, doing great work. And now he's working on, on spiny lobster research, which is awesome. Um, and, and a fun fact for you, um, spiny lobster re- research has been done in Japan as well. And the same diet that they feed to the, the kuruma prawns, the big prawns that I show you, mm-hmm. is the same diet that they actually fed the spiny lobsters, right? Because they're, they're almost the same. Right, they're both crustaceans, and you know they have the same dietary needs, basically. So, um, in terms of uh, other Caribbean persons, of course, Michael. Um, there's a friend of mine. She, she's Jamaican. She and I met when I was presenting at a conference in Malaysia. Her name is Julianne Russo. 
She is a consultant and she also, I, I believe, works for Aquaculture Without Borders. So this is basically a group of consultants who travel around the world, basically, and they um, help small fish farmers who need who need the help, basically, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they travel to Asian countries, African countries, and they um, act as consultants and they help to coach them in their um, fish farms. So she's doing great work, although she's living, I believe, in Belgium, <laughs> but she, from Belgium, I, I believe, once you live um, outside of the Caribbean, you can do more things because you, you, you get to build up your, your network a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So you're able to, to reach more persons in terms of funding and, and trying to get the interest into, you know, aquaculture in, in the Caribbean. Because most persons actually forget about the Caribbean when they talk about aquaculture. They think Asia, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, so, Yeah. So I know so we've been talking a lot about, you know, this, the, the food that you feed these animals. Are you able to tell us, you know, what what is the, the main component of this feed that you're getting? Because I know you mentioned seaweed is the binder. Mm -hmm. Are you still using animal products in this or is it plant based? Like what is your your go to feed for these shrimp and even the spiny lobster? <laughs> so it, re it really depends on um the ultimate goal, everybody has their own goal. I personally believe in using, um, well, if you wanna make a sustainable diet, you have to use local ingredients. So a, a sustainable diet for us might look differently for another country. So I focused more, when I was in Japan, I, I insisted on, on using a species that resembled the conch, right? Which is why I, I wanted to work with a particular um, mollusk that they had locally. And so that mollusk, they would actually eat it whole. So, so they would actually eat, um, they would eat the guts and everything. But I told them that, no, in the Bahamas, we actually don't eat the guts. We, we only eat the white part. I think we only eat about 30% of the live weight of the conch. The rest of it, we pretty much discard. The conch shells become reefs <laughs> later on because we don't really use them. We hardly do, I, I guess now personally, I'm making jewelry and stuff with them, which is good. But we hardly use the conch shells, right? And we, we don't eat the conch guts, right? The, the, vis the visceral organs, we don't eat them. So the Japanese were confused, like why these people don't eat? These people are weird, they don't eat conch guts. <laughs> but I'm like, so weird. Anyway, so <laughs> um, basically I told them that, yeah, I want to use the conch guts as, a, as the main protein in the diet of the shrimp. So the main protein was the conch guts. And Doing the research, we realized that the conch guts actually made the shrimps grow really, really big, much bigger than the, because normally they would feed squids, right? They would feed squid to, to the shrimps, like squid um, byproduct. So okay. whatever they don't eat from the actual squid, they would feed that to the shrimps. So the conch guts beat their squid byproduct, right? So, um, that research is what I had to present to different countries. So I mentioned Malaysia and then I also went to Taiwan to present it. The only thing is it's not fully sustainable because we need a um, large source of conch guts to actually make a diet, you know, a, a consistent diet. Mm -hmm. So I think we can perhaps only use a small amount but we still have to find something else as a protein in their diet. Right, so I'm still trying to find that protein, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you so find it. You seem to be on the right track, you know, so far. Yeah. 
but so how can our viewers, if there is someone out there listening and they're like, oh my goodness, I do want to get involved in this. Um, I know I have your email and your LinkedIn up there. Are there other ways that people can maybe follow your work or maybe mentor internship, any ways that they can get involved with what you're doing? Okay. So I have just started a new job. I'm no longer in the Bahamas. I'm, I'm in the UK now. I'm living in Scotland. And I'm working at the Institute of Aquaculture at the University of Sterling, right? And so I, I have been hired as a lecturer here. And so I'm, I'm going to be given my own lab and so on. So I need some Bahamians <laughs> to join me in my lab. Um, yeah, you can come as a bachelor student. You can come as a master's student. And you can, once you start as a master's student, you're almost guaranteed in my book to continue as a PhD and then a postdoc, right? So feel free to contact me. So yeah, my email is there. If you know somebody who's interested in aquaculture, aquaculture research, um, yeah, have them contact me and I'll be very happy, maybe too excited <laughs> to have them join me as soon as possible. And um, yeah, it's method. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So, I know a lot of times um, when I speak with my guests, there you know these are the life lessons that you learn through your work. Do you have any of those that you want to share with our viewers? Um, I don't know. This is a hard one. This is the hardest question you've asked me today. Um, life lesson, life lesson. I don't know because life is still going on, right? So the, yeah. there is so yeah. much, <laughs> there is so much to learn at every stage. But I, I do want to tell everybody to take your time, right? Don't do it, it whatever it is, it looks differently to everybody. But don't do it because everybody else is doing it, right? Do it because you know within your gut that this is what you you were born to do. This is what you're meant to actually do. Right. So I am passionate about different things and um, those things keep me up at night. They, they keep me thinking. They keep me challenged. They keep me wanting more. And those things are things that I know for sure I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And I think that it's important for persons to find their purpose, to find what they were meant to do. And your purpose is not it's not black and white. It, it, it's something that's uniquely yours. Like, Shanti, you have this um, Siren Sundays and, and so on. This is your brand. This is you, right? Everybody has their it, right? So I want persons to take their time and find their it. Don't do it just because everybody else says that's what you should be doing, basically. So after I got my bachelor's degree, I was stuck in a rut. I, I was the, the lowest I, would, I have ever been in my life, right? I had horrible thoughts in my head. I just wasn't feeling the best that I was, you know, that I could have been basically. I knew in my gut doctor was not, well, you know, MD doctor <laughs> was not doctor. Thing. <laughs> Yeah, MD doctor was another thing that I wanted to do. So I took my time and I, and I breathed a little bit. I stepped back a little bit. I didn't jump into it, you know, as everybody else did, right? I took my time. I thought about it some more and I really, really contemplated my life and, and, and saw what I was more passionate about. And I think people need to take the time to breathe, you know, don't just rush everything. Because I think this generation is a microwave generation. Everybody just wants everything now, 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 you know, yeah. everybody, yeah. everybody else is succeeding. So they're saying, well, I want to succeed too. I, I want to have a million dollars too, you know, so everybody's just wanting everything now, now. But sometimes we just have to sit back, you know, and think and just breathe, 
Right. And so, yeah. I love that. I feel like you were talking to me. <laughs> and I know everyone watching probably feels the same way. And and that is that is a beautiful thing. Like, just take some time and breathe. Like, and, and you're right. And I love that term, microwave generation. Like, we don't want to wait for things to bake. We want to pop it in the microwave and get it right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> You just, oh, you inspired me so much just now. So definitely do the things that light your soul on fire, that, that bring that passion. And our last question before we let you go, uh-huh. is there someone in the sector, whether it's local or international, that inspires you and, and why do they? Okay, so not one particular person, but more of a movement, I guess. A movement of persons that are inspiring me right now are um, a group of African, young African researchers who have been studying in Japan and in Europe and so on and are returning to their home countries, right? And they're actually making a difference. And I've just added a girl in, in, on LinkedIn, oh God, what's her name? Anyway, she's <laughs> she actually studied at the university that I'm in right now and she returned to her country and she's starting this... Um, um, tilapia farm and she's using insect insect meal as a way, well, I know it sounds gross, but it actually is a sustainable way because freshwater fish actually naturally eat insects, right? So freshwater fish, the bulk of their diet is actually insects, right? So she's using, um, she has an insect farm, basically, and she's using that to pretty much make feed for the, the tilapia that everybody's eating, right? And she is, is, is a genius idea. And th- there, there are many persons in Malawi and Kenya and, and Senegal and, and many, pla- you know, many places in Africa where persons, young persons said that, right? Are returning home, which is rare because <laughs> normally once you graduate, you're all for the job and you stay away, <laughs> right? They return home and they're actually making a difference. And you know what? And this, this is the key, this is the main, the main thing their government is actually helping them. <laughs> Mind blown. Mm. The Bahamas can learn so much. <laughs> I, I have hope. I think we need more more people saying things like this um, and bringing attention to it. And, and I think we'll, we'll get there. You, you got the little grants coming out and the development bank and yeah, slowly but surely. It ain't a microwave. We are definitely a fire oven country. We are <laughs> slowly baking, um, but we'll definitely get there. And thank you so much. This was such an amazing episode. I'm so glad I finally got to get you on this show. Thank you for oh, taking some time out of your me. evening. I know it's so late there, but. <laughs> yeah, it's 10 p.m. now. <laughs> Sorry to keep you so late, but I'm so grateful. Thank you for riding this wave with us. Thank you to all our viewers and anyone listening later on this podcast. Keep riding the wave of Siren Sundays. and I hope to see you all later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>